Good evening. I have seen that video uh, so many times, and every time it um, it gets right to my heart. It is such a great picture of what tonight and tomorrow and Easter is is really all about. And I love the last line that's used there. Will you will you follow? Um, the word follow is one word that Jesus uses a lot. When he encountered people that he wanted to have a relationship with, he kept it incredibly simple. He just would look them square in the eye. You can just picture him doing that and saying, follow me. Not even a, a question, but a statement. And, and the ones he said that to did. Jesus uses the word follow a lot, and I don't think anywhere in scripture is it recorded more intensely with more life-changing implications than these two statements of Jesus where he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, whose death we're remembering tonight, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow, to follow. And then he also said, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And so there's, there's just a, a sense that, that following will cost us everything to, to follow. And I think the question tonight is, what does that mean for us? I've, I've been thinking past couple of weeks, what would be a good way to just spend a few moments tonight thinking through what tonight is really all about. And what I'd like to do tonight is to think through some of the main moments of Jesus' last 24 hours on earth. You know, you've heard the stories, you've heard the big story and the little vignettes, and you've read them in the Gospels. And what, if you had to pick out three, four, maybe five moments in Jesus' last 24 hours, what would they be? I've picked out four, and I've invited four friends to come and read some accounts of what happened at each one of those. The first one is going back 24 hours before Jesus died, and it was commemorated last night, actually, right here in the sanctuary, where Jesus gathered with his closest friends. If you knew you had only 24 hours to live, and Jesus knew that he had only 24 hours, nothing took Jesus by surprise in those last 24 hours, or really at any point in his life. So he knew what was happening and what was about to happen. He did what you and I would do. We gathered with our friends around the table and had a meal. And here's what happened. It was evening, less than 24 hours before Jesus' death. The last Passover meal Jesus and his followers would observe on earth was about to begin. During the meal, Jesus begins washing the feet of all of the disciples including Judas, the one who would soon betray him. Peter initially objects to having his feet washed and then allows him to do it. After Jesus finishes, he explains that what he has just done for his disciples, they now ought to do for each other. While they are eating, Jesus tells the 12 disciples that one of them will betray him. Peter leans across the table and tells John to ask Jesus who would do it. Jesus says that the one who gets the sock which is a morsel or small amount of food dipped in sauce, will be the betrayer. Judas Iscariot receives the sock and is immediately possessed by Satan. 
What you do, do quickly, Jesus tells him. After Judas leaves the room, Jesus takes a piece of unleavened bread, blesses it, and gives it to the disciples to eat. Jesus explains that the bread represents his broken body, which he will offer for the forgiveness of sins. He takes a cup of wine, gives thanks to God, and then offers it to the disciples. He explains that the wine represents his blood, which will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins, making a new covenant possible. Jesus foretells that all the disciples will soon abandon him. Peter impulsively states that even if all leave him, he will not. And Jesus tells Peter that he will deny him not once, but three times before the sun rises. After singing a hymn, he and the disciples travel to the Mount of Olives. So Jesus does what any one of us would do if we knew we just had a few moments left to live. We would get together with our good friends. And he does something pretty amazing. He, the mighty one himself, the son of God himself, 100% God, when Jesus was in the room, God was in the room, he took on the role of a servant. And he grabbed a basin and did what none of us would do for each other. He washed their feet. And then he sets into motion something that we celebrate to this very day. He takes some bread and he says, you see this? This is my body, which is broken for you. And he knew in his heart that his disciples didn't know what he meant, but they soon would. And then he held up a cup of wine and he said, you see this? It looks like blood. This is my blood. And early on, Christians meeting and eating the body of Christ, drinking his blood, were accused of cannibalism. This is, this is amazing, crazy stuff here that Jesus sets into motion. Confusing, and yet it all made sense in just a short while. Well, after that, as Bridget just read, they, they went outside. They went up to the Mount of Olives, and they came to a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And you can just picture Jesus Um, with his disciples, taking those most close to him, his closest of close, leaving some behind, bringing a few, and then asking them to wait right there, stay awake, pray with me, and he goes over to a lonely place, Scripture records. And you can just picture him sitting down. And Scripture records something quite amazing. And it is in a spot just like this. Listen to what happened. Later that evening... While walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, at the foot of the Mount of Olives, Jesus tells the disciples he's the true vine. He offers his final words of encouragement and again tells the disciples that they will, live, that they will leave him. They arrive at the Garden of Gethsemane, where Peter, James, and John are t- taken to stand, watch, while Christ prays for three hours. The disciples, though asked to stay awake while he prays, quickly fall asleep. John records Jesus' powerful prayer for his disciples and for those that will follow us. Jesus' prayer then turns to himself as he prays for the cup of suffering and death awaiting him be taken away. Ultimately, though, he accepts whatever the Father wills. Not my will, Jesus prays, but yours be done, Father. Luke describes Jesus' prayer being so agonizing that he sweats drops of blood. Luke records that an angel from heaven appears to comfort Jesus. Just after midnight, Judas arrives in the Garden of Gethsemane, accompanied by armed officers and other men provided by the religious leaders. Judas, as a, sign, as a signal of which person to arrest, 
gives Jesus a kiss. Yeah, one of the common denominators throughout that night, throughout those 24 hours, was blood. Blood even right here when no one was touching him. Blood dripped down from his brow. He was sweat so intensely. That's never happened to you. Probably never will. It's never happened to me. But for Jesus, it did. That's how agonizing it was. And in the end, he said, not, not my will, but yours. Obedient all the way to the end. And who he had on his mind as he was sweating that blood out on some rock or some stump of wood was, was you. This was all about you. This was for you to win you back to the Father. And so they grabbed him after the betrayer kissed him. And, and there was more blood as an ear was cut off and Jesus restored that. I, I especially think of that moment. What must have been going through his mind as, they, as he watched Jesus be led off? And so they led him off over to another place, a place of, of torture. And, and this was well, well thought through. A sense that, that great pain would happen throughout. And this is what happened next. Jesus is bound and sent to the palatial home of the high priest Caiaphas for what would be the first of two trials. Assembled at the priest's home were only those chief priests, elders, scribes, and authorities who were against Jesus. Council members such as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who would have defended him, are not at the trial. Accusations are thrown at Jesus, but he does not respond. Frustrated that he won't defend himself, Matthew records that Caiaphas screams, Tell us if you're the Christ, the Son of God. To which Jesus responds, Yes, it is as you say. But I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Upon hearing Jesus answer, Caiaphas, in a rage, rips his clothes. He accuses Jesus of blasphemy and immediately asks the council for a verdict, to which they unanimously shout that he deserves the death penalty. They try Jesus a second time, according to Jewish law, resulting in the same verdict. He's bound and sent to Pontius Pilate, the Roman prefect of Judea, charging him with treason against Rome. Pilate sends Jesus to Herod. Herod mocks him and his claim to be a king, puts a purple robe on him, and sends him back to Pilate. Pilate, realizing he must act, has Jesus severely beaten and scourged. After the beating, soldiers put the purple robe back on him and a crown of thorns on his head. They spit on him, slap him, and beat him with a rod. Eventually, Pilate obliges the crowd, demanding for his crucifixion, and orders that it be done. Yeah, in- incredible evil. Incredible. And, and we look back and go, well, that was then, and this is now, but think of what's happened so far in 2013. Evil is very present, and it all sharply came to bear on the Son of God in that moment. And so they took him, and they took some nails, and they took a hammer, and they found a cross. And where the hill was that they crucified him, they laid him down. And this is what happened next. The soldiers take Jesus to Golgotha, also known as Calvary, and the place of the skull to be crucified. Along the route, they forced Simon of Cyrene to carry Jesus' cross. 
At Golgotha, Jesus is nailed to the cross along with two thieves on either side of him. He refuses to drink wine. Roman soldiers cast lots for his clothes. He for the forgiveness of those who are killing him. Pilate has the charge against Jesus written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin and put on his cross. While the exact words are unclear from the Gospels, it was likely a version of this. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The Jews object to what is written and request it changed. Pilate refuses. Even though crucifixions are common, many in the crowd stare in amazement as this seemed different from the others. Jesus' family and friends stayed at a distance as they watched Jesus suffer on the cross. Jesus tells his mother, Mary, to consider the apostle John, her son, and tells John to take care of his mother, Mary. Everything goes entirely dark, and finally, Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which translate, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's offered, and this time drinks vinegar sour wine. A spear is thrust into his side. Both blood and water pour out of him. He cries out with a loud voice, It is finished. And, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. At that moment, the earth quakes, and the giant veil in Jerusalem's temple that separates the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple is miraculously torn in two. A Roman centurion, after seeing Jesus die, acknowledges that he was the Son of God. And so scripture is very clear. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Sin produces death. And so there must be one, either yours or some substitute who would have to be perfect, sinless. And the only one that ever has been, is, or will be is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He comes. He takes our penalty. The death that we deserved. And the cross was no ordinary death. It was horrible. This cross here is like made out of stone and it's really heavy. I had a hard time even bringing it in here and it's, it's not anywhere near as heavy as the one that Jesus carried for himself and was ultimately nailed to. And can you imagine what that would have been like to have your hands and your feet put out and nailed down to the cross? It would have been excruciating. And if and for you and for those that loved you and watched that happen before you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said that grace apart from the cross is cheap. And this is the ultimate costly grace, the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the penalty paid for you. That is how much he loves you. And so Jesus died. He really died and they pulled him down off the cross and took him to a tomb and this this is what happened next the jews desiring the death of those crucified before the holy day starts around 6 p.m ask pilate to break their legs pilate agrees the legs of those crucified with jesus are then broken but his are not since he is already dead pilate allows joseph of Arimathea, a rich member of the Sanhedrin, to take the body of Jesus. Joseph and Nicodemus wrap his body in fine linen with a mixture of myrrh and aloe and bury him in the brand new tomb Joseph had made for himself. Late that night, the chief priests and Pharisees visit Pilate out of fear that Jesus' disciples will secretly steal his body, then claim he has risen from the dead. The religious leaders request that Pilate use his own troops to have the tomb secured. 
The garden temple is made secure. The stone at the entrance of the tomb is sealed, and a squad of guards is placed near the entrance to make sure no one steals his body. And so the words for the night, as we are about to depart here, is it is, it is finished. The ransom has been paid. And he was put into a tomb, and a giant stone was rolled in front. He was dead. He is dead tonight. He was dead and put in a tomb. And it wasn't some little wheel of a stone that was rolled across the front. It was, it was gigantic. A couple of friends and I went out, out uh, back of the church and grabbed this stone last night. And like four high school guys and me, we could barely lift this thing off the ground. And this is tiny compared to the one that plugged up the hole that was the front entrance of the tomb in which Jesus was laid. And he was dead. And you know the story that's about to happen, the true factual story that happened in just a couple of days, but not yet. Jesus is in the tomb. And it is very tempting to just kind of brush right past that. You've done well to come here tonight and to take a few moments, not rush to Easter, and wrestle with the gravity and the weight of your sin. We sweep, or at least try to, sweep our sin under the rug. God will have none of that. You're not fooling him, you're not fooling those that love you, and you're not fooling yourself. And God pulls that sin out and nailed it to the back of Jesus Christ, to be done with it once and for all. That is what is at stake here. And we celebrate that fact in the resurrection of Jesus. He defeats our sin. He defeats death itself. Take your best shot, Satan, and he does. And it isn't enough. Jesus is stronger. He wins in the end, but it doesn't look like it tonight. And so we, I think, are well-suited and well-deserved to just chew and wrestle on the gravity of our sin and to take time tonight and tomorrow to do that. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. This is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become The righteousness of God. That's what's at stake here. You and me becoming the righteousness of God that we might be ushered in one day to eternal bliss with him in heaven. That is what Jesus Christ did for you and me. He took that which would prevent us from having a life with God forever away from us. So now we are free and forgiven. We are going to sing one more song tonight. And after the song, I'll come up and say a quick benediction. And then we would really invite you to not rush off, to sit, to pray as long as you like. And if you want to come up, I've written some scripture verses around up here and some of these markers of Jesus' last 24 hours. You can come and sit or kneel or be And when it feels right to you, you're free to go. Thank you so much for coming tonight. And may God be with us in the days ahead.